0: Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Mark concludes his series, Do Something. We hope you enjoy. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Thankful for a strong God that we serve this morning. All right, all right. You may be seated. God bless you. Look to your neighbor and say, I prayed all week I'd sit next to you. Now look to the person that you did not say that to and say, and I'm glad you're here too. All right. How I many of you know it's okay to laugh and it's okay to lift up your hands. It's okay to get excited in the house of God. How I many of you know that? Amen. We serve a risen Savior and uh, he has set us in heavenly places. There's a plan for your life and... One of the things that I feel like God was calling us to do as we started this church was to to preach a series that really epitomized that very thought of doing something. And again, as I started this series out several weeks ago, the aspect of doing something oftentimes lends itself to to an activity or to actually going. And And it absolutely does include that. But sometimes it's just going out and saying, God, what would you have me to do? It's just seeking the face of God and not just going, hear me, church, not just going from pillar to post, doing a lot of spiritual things, because let me say this loud and clear. You can do a lot of things in the church, in the community, on the mission field, and completely miss God. In fact, I think it's very encouraging to hear sometime that, you know, uh, you know if you're not called to, to work in the nursery, if maybe children is not your thing and you just don't feel compelled to not only spend time. How many of you just love when you come to church, you can just turn your kids loose and you get a little time alone? All right, that was way too spiritual. But anyway, but the thing I'm getting at is we have to start praying not just for God to use me, But for God to use me in the area that he's equipped me with. Philippians 2.13 says it this way. That it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Simply saying this. That if there's anything in us wanting to do something for the glory of God. You can rest assured that God put it there. And then Philippians 1.6 says it this way. Being confident. Of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me will also do what? He'll finish it. He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it tells me this, that if there's something out there for me for me to do, and the Bible is very clear on that in 1 Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and 14, that each one of you represent a very viable part of the body of Christ. Every one of you has a part, a spiritual DNA, if you will, on your life that no one else in the world can fulfill but you. Now, having said that, we have to seek God's face, and I'm going to share that with you a little bit more detail tonight, but today I want to finish a a sermon that I started last week. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8, 9, and 10, probably one one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures because it's the Apostle Paul... As he's writing uh, to the church at Ephesus. And he's really come to a place, and we see this in some of his other letters. That he realizes that in and of himself, a man that can speak fluently some eight languages. A man that was a Pharisee, which means he was trained in the Sanhedrin. He understood scripture. Most theologians believe he could have easily quoted the first five books of the Bible word for word. And all of these things uh, encompassing, he was basically saying this in his letters. There's nothing in me that I can boast of. I only boast in the things of Jesus Christ. And so in that context, he says these words. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That it's not of yourselves lest any man should boast. It is, say it with me, the gift of God. Y'all say it with me, the gift of God. Listen, the reality is, is that anything that God has given you that has any power, any value, any hope is nothing more, nothing less than a gift. A gift is not something that you go and, and, and get because you're good. You get it because someone graciously gave it to you because of their love for you. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of your works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Then he goes on to say, and I love this. I love how it, it, it opens up. For we are his workmanship. Some translations say we're his masterpiece. We're his workmanship, watch this, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not just any work. That goes back to what I was saying a moment ago. He did not create you to just be a busybody in the church. I believe, in, and I say this with all respect because I've been there, we can be doing a lot of spiritual stuff and completely miss the good work that God has for us. Say amen. Because I'm going to tell you, that should be liberating for some of us. But he says, I created you into good works that you should walk in, that I've created for you that I've preordained. He says, I already had a plan for you. He told Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I had a plan for you to prosper you. There's a hope and an expected end. He says, I've already got your life planned out. Jeremiah, all you got to do is start walking. And that's what he's calling you and of today. Let's pray real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that I, today that you would help me to rightly divide your word of truth. Help me, Father, to make application that people in here today, including myself, we would leave different than when we came in. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray and everybody said amen. I started last week with sharing a story with you in the 1900s, 1904, at age 16, a young boy named Bill Borden a heir to the Borden Darius State, had graduated from high school far beyond any of his other fellow classmates. So for a high school graduation, his parents, very wealthy, gave him a trip around the world. In so doing, he began to get a heart for the people around the world and the dying and the hurting and those that are downtrodden. So he committed his life to a life of missionary work after he finished college. People around the world were saying, what a waste this is. This guy has so many opportunities. His family is incredibly wealthy. And, and he penned these words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. And he went on to Yale University, and he studied there it was a seminary. And he went to Bible college, and he began to, to rise above, and he, 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 he automatically began to set himself apart. He started a local Bible study among the classmates. The first year, there was 150 of the 1,300 students at Yale University that were actually participating in his Bible study. At night, you could find him down in the New Haven area, actually feeding the homeless and encouraging men and, and bringing them out of drunkenness and out of stupors and Sharing the gospel with them. And this guy, all of his classmates saw it so much so that by the time he graduated from Yale University, 1,150 of the 1,300 class body of, of, of Yale University was attending his weekly Bible study. Hundreds had come to know Christ. Hundreds more accepted calls into the full-time ministry and hundreds more into missionary work just as he did. And as he got ready to, to graduate there, he went on to Princeton to, to graduate work. And upon coming out of graduate school, he was offered some of the highest paying jobs in corporate America that anyone had ever seen coming out of Ivy League school. He turned them all down. People said he was crazy. He said, no, I've committed to say yes to Jesus and no to myself every time. People said, this guy is insane. And he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. He wrote the words, no retreats. As he left to go into to minister to the Kansu people of China. That was where God was calling him to go. He was having to leave everything. To leave all of his wealth, all of his money, his homes. Everything that his parents could have given him. Everything that money could have bought. He laid aside because he said yes to Jesus. To do something to make a difference. So on his way there he took a, a, a sidebar and went to Egypt to learn the Arabic language. In less than two months he contracted spinal meningitis. And young 25-year-old Bill Borden died when the words came back to America that this young boy, had gave away his wealth, he gave away his hope, but somehow seemingly he did so in such a sacrificial manner that it seemed more of a privilege than a sacrifice. And the news media was wearing it out. This boy had given up everything and wasted everything. When somebody found his Bible, they looked and there was two more words at the bottom underneath no reserves and no... Retreats was the two words, no regrets. Can you say that today? That if you die today, and we hope we don't die today, but just the reality is the Bible says, appointed unto man wants to die. You and I will die. 100% of the people in the sound of my voice listening in this room or by way of podcast, you will die. The Bible says you have an appointment, and whether you're a latecomer or whether you get there early, you're going to make that appointment because that is God's will for our life. Death is a way to reconcile us back to a holy God. Could you say, if today you lie on your deathbed, that I have no regrets, Mark. I did what God had called me to do. Remember last week I started with no reserves and I was speaking about several areas that we're holding back from God. One of course, and we don't like to talk about it in the church, is in the area of tithing, the area of giving of ourself. That 10% the Bible says in Malachi only one place in the entire word of God found in Malachi chapter 3 verse 8, 9, and 10 and it says according to the Lord, try me in this. Try me in the area of giving of your tithes, that 10% and see if I won't bless you and open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you will not even be able to contain it. So Mark, are you saying I should give to receive? I'm saying no. Try God. It's God's principle. Everywhere in scripture he says, don't try the Lord thy God. Don't tempt him. And then he says, try me in this area. Why? Because as we see all throughout the New Testament, money is the one thing that separated men from a holy God. If we place more value in the things that we can gain on this earth, the things that are temporal, guess what? You have placed an idol before you and a holy God. So, God is saying, Hey, I'll show you. I'll, tr- I'll show you the real deal. I'll take the one thing that you work so hard for the thing you place above family, the thing that people are killing in the streets for, the things that people are selling their body into slavery. People are selling drugs. They're doing all of these things for money. Hey, I'll take that one thing and see if you'll hold it back from me. The principle of tithing is just that it's a principle, it's not a commandment. The church doesn't need your money. God is certainly not broke. It's a principle that I thank God. My wife showed me many, many years ago that you don't write that check last if you have the money left over. You write it first as a faith promise knowing that God is going to do what God said He would do. How many of you can just by a show of hands say I can attest to the fact that God has shown me personally that in my giving that God can never outgive a holy God? How many of you just want to lift your hand up? See, it's a principle. Secondly, in the area of sin. What are you holding back from God? Is there unconfessed sin in your life that you've held back from God? Something that you have put over in the corner. In Psalms 139, for 22 verses, you see the psalmist David, a man associated with hurt, with pain and loss. And he said, you know me if I sit down. You know me if I stand up. You know me if I go into the dark corners. You know me if I go into the grave. You're there. Before I speak a word off of my tongue, you know it right well. And then in verse 23, after 22 verses, speaking the sovereignty and the all-knowingness of God, then he says these words, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know, know my thoughts. See if there be any wickedness in me, Lord, and lead me in your way everlasting. Why? For 22 verses does he say that he knows everything, only in verse 23 to come back and say, Now search me. I'll tell you why. Because there's a difference in realizing that God knows everything about you, every dark corner, every skeleton, everything. Listen, it ain't time to come out of the closet. It's time to let God in with you and clean it out and walk out afresh and anew. That's what God wants to do in your life. But we're holding it back. We're reserving that. And then final, the area of unforgiveness. Some of you in this room, and I say this with the utmost of respect, some of you in this room have been hurt so bad, so wickedly, Things have been done to you, maybe as a child, maybe in a relationship, maybe all of the above, and you wake up every morning, and again, please hear me, I say this respectfully, I don't make light of that, but you wake up in the morning, and you're reminded by the enemy of what someone did to you, and you carry that with you each And every day, and it's preventing you from walking in the fullness of the joy that God has for your life. Nehemiah says it this way, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And let me submit to you, joy is way different than being happy. How many of you know that? Happiness is something that we get when happenings occur in our life that are pleasing to us, Steve. But joy comes from the Lord. Joy says this, and I shared a lady's name with you last week who lost her two-year-old son. And I got the call to go to the hospital uh, several years ago in, in, in uh, LaGrange. And, and I saw this lady lying flat on her face before God, crying out to God to heal this little baby who had fallen in the pool. His name was Caden, two years old. And guess what? As we prayed and we believed and we had faith God took that child and I had no understanding as that as a young preacher I could look at that mother and say well here's why because all things work together for good can I tell you something there's times when things happen in your life you don't quote scripture you just shut your mouth and ask God to do what he does but that woman today is serving the Lord so much so and you'll meet her one day I'll bring her here so much so that she says this out loud God thank you for taking little caged life, that I may see your will for me, that I may bring others to you. My friend, that's the joy of the Lord. So not only can there be no reserves, guys, there can be no retreats. What are you running from? The Bible says it this way, that you and I have not been given the the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The reason we have depression today is because we're fearful of of the ramifications of what we did back here. you're, You're fearful and you're broken and you're paralyzed from what you did way back there. And guess what? God has already set you free. Today is a brand new day. And you're depressed because of what you did back there. And it's created a fear that stifles you from being able to do what God's called you to do. And if it's not depression, it's anxiety. Anxiety is living today, worrying about what might happen tomorrow. And can I tell you something? Guess what? You might never see tomorrow. Well, Pastor Mark, that sounds really morbid. But can I tell you something? There's some liberty in that, my friend, because the hope is this. I don't have to figure out everything about what's going to happen in Jeremy's life. I don't have to figure out. Look, I was, I'm a granddad, man. I'm a new granddad. i got the best-looking grandmom in the world. Stand up, baby, and show them how good. I get home and she goes, "Don't, don't ever do that again." How many of you ever had your life figured out and then God stepped in and said, "Oh, guess what? I got something really cool for you to do." Has that ever happened to anybody else? I'm going to tell you something. And that very moment when Stephanie pointed out this beautiful young boy in Jamaica, we've been traveling there for over 20 years, and I'm going to tell you something. We passed a lot of people on the streets, a lot of kids and a lot of things, and God spoke to my wife and told her something, and then she told me, and I said, God didn't tell me that. Do you know why? Can I be real with you? Because I had anxiety. I have my life figured out. I want to spend time with my grandbaby. I want to spend time with my kids. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to get out there and hunt. And I just want to sit in the woods all day long and just watch deer come by and go, dude, I could kill you right now, but I'm not because I'm just praying. I want to do that. God said, put it on. Shut it down. Here's what I got for you. But see, the no retreat says this. It's time, church, to make a stinking commitment and stick to it and do something. Let me me read this scripture to you, and I want you to put your head around this. In James chapter 1, verse 6, in part B and following, listen to the words of this reading from the New Living Translation. I think we have this verse. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed in the wind. Listen to this last part. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Do you want me to read that again? When you have a divided allegiance, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to serve you, I want to give to you, I want to serve. And then you're over here going, but God, I want the world, I want what the world has to offer. You now have a divided allegiance. You are not certain about what you're really asking God to do in your life. And he says, a person that is unsettled that way that has a divided loyalty. Hear me. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Lord. I don't know who Lloyd is, but Lord. Anybody here named Lloyd? You just bless everybody, Lloyd. Let me say this to you. I know you're watching the news and what's going on in the Gaza Strip. In 1967, there was a six-day war. And in that war... The Arab nations that came against a small little parcel of land called Israel. And hear me, these are God's people. You can mark this down, you can say mark prophesied, you can say whatever you want to say, but I want you to mark it down right now in your mental Rolodex. They will never, ever be overrun. God's already settled that. All these nations came against Israel, and Israel defeated them all. And in that six-day war, all those Arab nations were pushed into the sea, and they reclaimed the Gaza Strip, one of the most strategic pieces of property in the entire Middle East because it separates some major cities, some major things, Egypt on one side, Lebanon on another, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and all around them in the Mediterranean Sea. That is their port of entry, and that is their port of exit in 2004 and 2005 i'm sorry to say that at the guidance of the united states of america at the time ariel sharon was the prime minister and you may have followed him he was a very he was actually a good man he was encouraged by the united nations Seconded by the United States of America and the Department of Defense and Homeland Security and several other security councils, they said, look, if you truly want to get some type of peace treaty and some type of peace agreement, just give them that one little small piece of land. Just give it to them. And they complied. Today, that land is not owned just by Egypt. Egypt that land is not just occupied by Palestine. It is occupied by a democratic vote from the Egyptian, the Arab nations raising up a group of people called Hamas which are the most notorious, most terrible people you have ever seen and they occupy that land now. And you say, Mark, why is Israel killing all those kids? I'll tell you why. Because the Hamas is breaking the Geneva Convention and they're putting missile launchers in churches and hospitals and children's homes and people's houses, and they're shooting them out and Israel has nothing to do. But to shoot back, and that's why you see the children, and it's terrible. It's terrible collateral damage, and it should never happen. But you say, Mark, why do you tell me all that? Is this some big news media thing? No, no, no. Let me tell you something. The reason that we're having the problems we are today is because God had already given Israel the Gaza Strip, but they retreated and gave people something that God had already given them in victory. Hey, and guess what? Guess what? The same is true for your life. God has delivered you back there from pornography. And you're still looking at things even though you have been delivered. That land has been taken. That victory is yours. And you keep dabbling. He's delivered you from cigarettes. And you're still trying to dabble in it. And and listen, I know we can sit here and list a bunch of stuff and say, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. Let me say this. We need to quit asking the question, is this bad or is this going to send me to hell? And start asking the question, is what I'm about to do going to bring glory and honor to you, God? And if it does not, shut it down and don't do it. But retreat says this, that we're not committed to fight, and we're not committed to stand. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and following, Joshua has just taken the torch from Moses and now crossed the Red Sea. A very, very important part of the children of Israel as they walked over that sea. They didn't walk into the promised land would indicate a piece of heaven. It indicated the fullness of the fellowship of a holy God. That's what God intended them to have. That's what God intends you and I to have. Fullness of God, full fellowship with Him, the joy of the Lord, a free flow of prayers and a free flow of blessing back and forth. That's what God desires from you. We just got to move all the junk off the table. And the the, uh, Jordan River became that junk and they crossed over it on dry land and now they're in Gilgal and they're standing there and Joshua just takes a little walk and starts walking over to Jericho he wants to survey, remember he was one of the original spies during Moses' reign and he walks over into Jericho and as he he comes across this plateau to see the city for the first time the most fortified city in the entire world at the time with walls with impenetrable walls and he stood there and he sees this guy arrayed in battle attire with a helmet on a sword drawn and he asks this question are you for us or are you for our adversaries? You know what he told him? No. He asked him two questions. Have you ever asked your kids two questions and they give you a yes or no answer? It doesn't make any sense. The, the, this person looked, he said, are you for me or are you against me? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And watch what he said, no. But rather indeed, I come as the captain of the host of the Lord. As we study scripture, we realize this was actually a Christophany, a picture of Jesus Christ before he was ever incarnated. Don't worry about all that. We'll get into that later. But you know what he told him that day? Hear me, Joshua. I'm not for you. I'm not for them. I'm not against you. And I'm not against them. I am simply God. Now, why is that important? I had to write this down or else I'd forget. Let me tell you. Joshua's question reveals a typical mindset that poses a threat and a hindrance to your and my effectiveness in the service of our Savior. Here's what I wrote down. We tend to see the battles we face as our battles and the forces we face as the forces marshaled against us and our individual causes, concerns, agendas, and even our theological positions or beliefs rather than simply seeing it as something God is using to get a hold of my life and use me not for my agenda, not for my hope, not for my church, but for His glory and His honor and His mercy. You see, we can ask the question all day long. If people are hurting you and people are talking about you, and it'll happen. You live in a town that it happens all the time. You and I both know it. Guess what, though? Let them talk. At least the conversation of topic is a good one. Let them talk. But here's what I do. Here's what I do. God, are you for me or are you for them? Let me do that again. God, are you for me or are you for them? You know what God says? No, Mark. I came that all would know me. That all would repent and come to me. I come that none would perish, Mark. See, I come not to help you. Hear me, guys. This is profound. God said this in my heart. He said, Mark, I didn't come to help you raise up a church. Mark, I didn't come to help you rescue you a child. I let that boy come into your life so you can see what I did for you, Mark. Because you were the orphan. You see, it's not about me. It's about him and what I can do to be a part of his great story. But there's no retreats. And then finally. This is the hardest one. The Apostle Paul. He says in, his, in the doxology of his life. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Literally perhaps weeks before he was beheaded for his faith. Martyred at the hand of an angry king and an angry people. And he said these words, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith, he said. He wrote letters of encouragement called the prison epistles while he was in a Roman prison literally taking some of his last breaths in some of the most grotesque situations you could ever fathom, perhaps shackled by the feet and shackled by the arm, different things he would have to, I mean, the, 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 the waste of his body right there in the hole in the bottom of the floor, his food sitting nearby when he was fed, and yet he's encouraging people in the faith. Why? Because in Acts chapter 20, you see a word that Paul said when he first started out he said now I go bound to Jerusalem I go bound in the Holy Spirit not worrying about the things that befall me there because I know now none of these things move me that I may finish my course with joy that you have set before me the reason he had no regrets is because when he died that day that, the, the weeks before when he wrote this letter he knew that he had done exactly what God had called him to do you see, we can stand back today and say, yeah, I'm not holding anything back. Mark, there's no reserves. And hey, Mark, I'm not really afraid of a lot. You know, I, I just press on, man. I'm a, I'm a pretty tough guy. I'm a pretty tough gal. And, and you know, I'm just going to press on. I'm not holding anything back. But will you, my friend, will you at the day that God is calling you home, if you knew it and you knew that time was impending, would you be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith, and this is the underscore, and I have finished my course. See, I don't have to finish your course. I don't have to do what you, you've been called to do, Rusty. You, your, your call may be a lot more, more uh, profound than mine. And, and that's what we do, don't we? We put it down here and we go, well, well, here's your calling and here's my calling. and Wow, look at Billy Graham's calling. And, and, and I know y'all went to the Billy Graham library. gonna tell you what. one of the things you walk away with, as is, is, is they were telling us the other day, Tommy and Julie, is that you walk away not about Billy Graham, but about who God is in Billy Graham's life. And i tell you something. If you stand up for the glory of God and say this, I am not going to turn back. There's no reserves. There's no retreat. And guess what? There'll be no regrets. You in heaven will receive the reward that God has planned for your life. And you will stand side by side on a level field with the Billy Grahams of this world. Because that's how good God is. No regrets. When you lie on your deathbed, what will you wish that you have done? As the band comes, I want you to hear me. Would you listen to this, if you had heard anything else I said. We don't like to think about death. But you and I both know, and many people in this room have been affected, been impacted by death. And we hear people every day that are, you know, cancer and things that are happening in our life. One of the things that I, that I found, Bill, is when I, when I do have the privilege, and I call it a privilege, when I do have the privilege of going over to a family's house and praying with them, one of the things that I ask them before I sit down to pray with them, I mean, you know, if, if, you're, if your husband or your wife is lying there on the bed, and, and, and who am I? Who am I as some preacher to walk in the house and go, man, we're just going to pray for healing, man. We're just going to pray. And I start declaring all these things. You know what I do to them? I just go to them and say, hey, how do you want me to pray? Because you know what I have found to be true? And I did it just yesterday. I'm not going to call this person's name. Just found out they have the final stages of prostate cancer. And me, and me and, where'd he go? Me and Dave went to their house yesterday and just sit in their living room. He's watching the ball game. And I said, hey, how are you? I, yeah, we're good. I look, I'm like, we're at the right house, ain't we? All right, I mean, because this guy's good. I'm like, I'm going just be real with you. I'm not going to be good if I just got this message. He says, yeah, we're good. I mean, Can we do anything for you? what do he say? I don't need anything. He did tell us there was a couple of piles of dirt out in the yard if we wanted to spread that. But that wasn't what I was talking about. Because when we really say you want to do anything, we really don't mean do you want help, you know. And I looked at them, and I looked at the wife, and I looked at this gentleman, and I said, How can we pray for you? What, What do you want? What is God saying to you? You know what he said? He said, I got a piece about it. I just want God's will in my life. What? How how do you do that? How how do you just want God's will in your life? What happened to the, if I just come with a grain, a faith of a grain of mustard seed, and I can shout at that mountain to be moved and cast into the sea? What happened to that in the Bible? What happened if two would be agreed and touching anything they could have whatsoever they ask of the Lord? What happened to that? Me and Dave went together, man. we fished them a bar in heaven on your behalf. And you're telling me all you want is what God wants? Are you kidding me? And it's funny how, and I, don't, I can't speak for any other pastor in this room, but it's funny how we go into a place to go and be a blessing to you, and then while we're sitting there, you turn it around. That's not fair. You turn it around, and you become a blessing to me man, as we kneeled down on that floor, David and I got in front of him we prayed. And David just prayed the most incredible prayer. Because you know what it was? It was just a celebration. I mean, it wasn't even about healing him, was it? God, if it be your will, contain it to that one area of his body. Let him take it out. Let him live. My God, I want that kind of hero walking beside me. You see, there can be no regrets. February the 26th, I sat at my father's bedside and I watched him. I physically watched him breathe his last breath. I have a picture of me and my son holding his hand literally just moments before that. Thank God my wife took that picture. And I just, I'm just holding his hand. And I said, it's okay. It's okay. Do you know why I said that? Not because it was okay with me. But because I knew it was well with his soul. My dad had no regrets. Had a tough life. But when it mattered. When it mattered the most. Let me tell you what you won't do on your deathbed. You won't say, hey, give me my bank account. Let's balance that joker out. See how much money we got. Let me tell you what you won't do. You won't say, hey, get all the friends together. We're going to watch the football game. You don't care who's playing. You don't even care if it's a football game. You don't care. The only thing you want is, hey, where's my son? Where's my daughter? Where's my wife? And I'm looking forward to seeing God. No regrets is this today. Not tomorrow. Hear me. Don't you leave this room today with anything holding back from a holy God. Daddy? You're the first step to be taken. It's not your wife's responsibility to drag your kids to church. It's your responsibility to lead them. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Or else, your daughter's going to raise up and she's going to pick somebody that's treating your wife the same way. They're going to grow up and look for some guy that's, that's going to treat them the same way you're treating her mom. Wives. Submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the home, even as Christ the head of the church. Be a picture of Jesus in your life. Hey, somebody hurt you? Love them. Oh, that'll really, that's so much fun. I promise you. Somebody's mean to you? Love them. You see them, you're walking down Walmart, they turn and go the other way. Man, you go catch up with them. I kid you not kid you not. If you ever see me running Walmart, that means somebody's trying to avoid me. I'm going to catch them. Just love them. Mark, why would you do that? (laughs) Number one, it's a lot of fun. But the bigger reason is you will not be able to say this about me when I die. You will not. I promise you. Man, he just held a little bit back because I'm not. I'm going to bombard heaven with everything I got and say, God, use me. And if it means us charging hell with a water pistol, so be it. We're charging on. Get on board, man. Because we're not, hey, I'm not satisfied with 25,000 people in Upson and Thomaston that are not in church today. And guess what? David and I will never reach them. That's God's job. But I would sure love if you would invite them. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Most important part of the entire service, please don't move around. Do you know that you know that you know that you have Jesus Christ in your heart, that if you died today that you would spend eternity in heaven? If you don't know that, if you're that kind of person that says, man, I sure hope so, or man, I'm a pretty good gal, or I'm a pretty good guy, can I tell you something? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all fallen short the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's a gift, my friend. You call upon his name, and he says, whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. What are you waiting on today? I'm not asking you, as David said and Keith said, I'm not asking you to clean your life up. That's not my job to ask you to clean anything up. I just want to send it out there and say, here it is. Take it. It's yours. His name is Jesus you want to pray with me right now in faith by His grace you can be saved pray this right now from your heart to God God in heaven I am a sinner and I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin Jesus will you save me be the Lord of my life and help me to live for you until the day that I die with no regrets, today I commit my life to you. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you pray that prayer, I just want to pray for you. I'm not asking you to walk this aisle, though I would love for you to. But more than anything else, I just want to be able to acknowledge that hand to pray for you. If you prayed and asked Jesus Christ into your heart with every head bowed and every eye closed, lift your hand up right now. Just lift it up high. God bless you and you. Hold them up high for just a moment. You and you and you. Oh my gosh, man, there's, there's at least 12, 14 hands that are going up right now. Going to live forever. Nothing can take that from you. It's the hope of the world.